Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness at Work, at Home, in Life podcast. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? How do you feel happiness? Do you control your own happiness or is somebody else controlling your happiness? Are you living a meaningful and worthwhile life where you experience joy, contentment and positive well-being? Do you feel happiness at work, at home and in life? In this Tribute to Happiness podcast, you will discover what happiness means to people all over the world and how they implement happiness in their life. Here is your host, Hjeden Svenperson, and with him you'll explore these and other interesting topics. Hello and good morning. This is Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer calling. When you hear the term tunnel vision, what do you think about? The light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> I hope not, because that is not it. In this episode of Tribute to Happiness, we will talk about the wiring of the brain, being human, and what can cause unhappiness, and so on. Is there a way to achieve optimal fulfillment, peace, and happiness through a method that brings together East and West? Well, let's call a former brain researcher Hello, Hedden. Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So now, because you have to tell the people who are listening, where are you stationed? Like, where where I, is your life? My life is centered right now in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. So we have to, I have to thank you because my, like, like the time in Iceland is three o'clock. And your time is seven o'clock. So, like, I really thank you for, like, doing this for me <laughs> because yeah, of the time difference. It's a pleasure. Glad to be here. It's yes. fun to talk to you. So, you are, your full name is Jeff Skolnik, and you are a doctor. Can you tell about a little bit about yourself and what you do, like, daily, on a daily basis? Daily basis. So... I think what's important to the discussion is that I'm a psychiatrist. I've been a psychiatrist for 30 years. Um, I've also been a, a Zen Buddhist meditator for 40 years. I've done a lot in that, in that arena. I was also in my residency in psychiatry. I was in a doctorate program in neuropsychology where I did research on the brain. Um, and I also have another doctorate in natural health science. So it kind of brings them all together. My, my daily job is, I have a company that I'm trying to get off the ground called Satori West, but I'm the chief medical officer of a psychiatric hospital here in Seattle. So, and you are not older than you, like you, you look 29. So how, how, did you, how did you achieve all this <laughs> degrees? I like you already, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did I achieve all this? Well, just, you know, one day at a time, Hedden. Yeah. That's the main story. But I like, I, I got like what we can talk about is you have already mentioned it, that you're a Zen Buddhist and, and, and you practice the Zen Buddhism. Yes. So, and you, you work with combining like the, the ideologic, uh, ideologic, like sometimes my words, like my tongue, it's just like, 
I got very hairy okay. tongues. So like you try to uh, put together Buddhism and the Western brain behavior and wellness and science and stuff like how how is it for you? Because now I, my podcast is about happiness at work or happiness at home, happiness in life in general. How how is it for you? Like uh, you mentioned, you're a psych, you are a doctor in psychiatry. How how is it when you combine these things and do we Westerners have like time or what what do you think is the main thing about the Western society regarding for example well being, happiness and stuff? Um well I mean so I have I created an approach called the Satori West method. The word Satori is the Japanese word for awakening. And the West is the kind of the, the Western brain science, psychology, wellness science, understanding of what Buddhism is trying to say. And so uh, it, it starts, it has a, it, it describes kind of like five different points. The first point, and you know, I, I know this is a discussion about happiness, um, but for me, I think one needs to understand why we're unhappy first, and then the happiness part kind of grows from there mm-hmm. and it makes it kind of easier. Because if you try to jump right to being happy without knowing what you're carrying around with you and why you are creating problems for yourself, it's, it's a challenge to, to be happy. Yeah, because uh, you can. I I think sometimes about it as a, you have this rucksack and you have a lots of weight in your rucksack, and then mm-hmm. and if you don't take out of the rucksack, then it's get heavier and heavier and heavier, and finally you end up in a burnout or like. So it would be intriguing if you could like go through this. Like, would you say that in in order to be happy you have to discover why you are unhappy you said it that if you you have to know why you are unhappy so how yeah. if you go through the points those five yeah, yeah. points like, just like because it's funny to get your perspective on like my 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 cut is happiness at work but like do, does people understand how they get there so good word perspective, by the way. I like that. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. I know. So hit <laughs> <with> that. <laughs> You're a chapter ahead of me. Um, so the the five points of the Satori West method starts with point one is that, and I'll just run through them quickly, is that you know, life is hard for everyone. And, you know, from childhood to adolescence, teenage years, the pressures of adulthood, having losses in your life getting you you know you hit 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and you can't you know freak out at every level and people get sick and then we get old it's just a sort of a series of of little or big crises that we and we carry a lot with us and it's important to understand that because often in when we're unhappy we feel like we're alone we feel like we're the only ones that experience that and and it's not true and so when you open your eyes to that it's kind of validating and it's kind of like the first step to kind of relieving it. 
But the second point is that the reason why we're unhappy really is not because of what happens to us. It's because of how our brains are configured for unhappiness, believe it or not. Um, and that has to do with the survival wiring of all brains, even from reptiles all the way up to, to mammals and us. Um, whenever we see something that we want or don't want, our brains automatically focus attention on it, which is great if you're an animal, because then you respond to it automatically and then you're good to go. But for humans, we, when, we, when we focus our attention on things automatically uh, or even intentionally, it warps the human mind in certain predictable ways that makes us unhappy. Um, so, so we, I, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so because when you say that, because when when people okay, we go through our uh, grammar school and like we go through adulthood and we get our university degree and then we get our first job or we get our job, and then maybe yeah. and we are ecstatic and ecstatically happy or like we are we are literally happy because we have finished our studies and stuff and we have found our dream job maybe, and then. In a sense, maybe in a one year, five year, I don't know how, how long it takes, then you start to figure, like, thinking, is this what I wanted? Is that then the, uh, maybe the, like, the human condition that you, you start to think about the reality of things? Well, I, I don't want to say that life isn't also punctuated with, with good moments as well. It's not just the moments of crisis and, and difficulty. Just that the bad moments we kind of accumulate with us, um, but I think I think to cure that, I think Hedden, what you're saying is that we seek what we think will make us happy. We think, well, we'll go through school, and when we finally graduate, we'll be feel complete. Mm. This will be it. Our life will live our life deeply, and then we're like, well, no, that's not doing it for some reason. I'm not happy yet. So maybe the next thing, maybe having a family or getting a relationship and then I got to make more money. And then it's, you know, that, that goalpost is always moving. Yeah. So we, we are seeking always, we are seeking something. We are, we have this emptiness. So we, we start from point zero again. Exactly. We're, we're seeking something because we carry this unhappiness and emptiness with us. And we don't know what it is, so we we keep doing things that actually can be counterproductive in many ways because we, you know, we if you put too much on a relationship, it can it can stress it out. If you put too much in a job, you can get disappointed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So so it it all comes down to the wiring of the brain. I believe it does. Yeah. But but is it like the left half of the brain or the right half of the brain? Like, uh, is it constant battle or can we unlearn to have this feeling? Can can we like learn to be okay in a sense satisfied? I don't know <laughs> if we ever be like one hundred percent happy because we we probably need to have a balance of happiness unhappiness or like we can never be 100% this or the other. Yeah, I mean, that that is true. Um, so the other side of the, which I think what you're asking is what's on the other side of tunnel vision? What is the polar opposite of that? Um, and 
I call it perspective, which is a simple word that we all use, but there's, it has a lot of meaning to it. Yeah. Um, and it, and perspective, if it's wide enough, leads to the experience of spiritual awakening, which I just consider another, like the highest or a higher brain state. Um, but what perspective is, I mean, it's so we talked about survival wiring in all animals and, and we pay attention and I'll, I'll answer your question about left hemisphere versus right hemisphere as well. Um, well, I'll, I'll answer it now. So I think where tunnel vision comes from is that we use language to focus our attention on things and language is verbal language is seated in the left, usually the left hemisphere of the, of the brain. There's a small percentage of people who have it on the other side. Um, and that it pulls us towards our left hemisphere so strongly that believe it or not, that's actually why most people are right-handed because the left hemisphere controls the right side of the body um, because language so heavily pulls our brain kind of one in one you know side of it. So the opposite of that uh, is actually that the fact that all animals, again, don't have just one brain in their head. They have two two separate brains in a way that each with their own awareness, each with their own preferences, each with their own seeing the world in a different way. And when those two sides, you can teach yourself how to train those two sides more intensely on each other. So those two brains, when they are normally trained on each other, that's what gives you the sense of, oh, there's a me. It's like I'm in this moment. Um, when they're really intensely trained on each other, you sort of really wake up in a sense to what it means that you're here right now, that you're alive and you, you experience the magnitude of this moment. And you understand that this, you know, what it took for you to get to be born. It's, it's miraculous, really. I mean, think of the universe, how to exist, all these chemicals, you know, how to evolve and with cells to, you know, to animals. And then all of your ancestors had, had a meet at the right time. And then that one sperm hit the one egg. I mean, your, your existence is like the winning the cosmic lottery, but we take it utterly for granted because we're always seeking something mm -hmm. outside of ourselves to be happy. And we miss the extraordinariness of just the fact that we exist, no matter what happens. Um, so when the two brains can be trained on each other, and that's, you know, I call that brain shifting because it's, it's uh, you know, it starts with what we normally think of as mindfulness and that brain shifting kind of goes on from there. But happiness, I believe, starts with the very intense appreciation for what you have and the fact that you're here right now. Um, and then it, and it builds from there. And we can, we can talk about that if we want to. Yeah. So okay, that was the the, the first first point is like the acknowledgement of the human condition. So yes. and and then the second point is. So the second point is that the reason for unhappiness is tunnel vision. Yes, and, and we can we can talk about that more if you want to. That's a that's a that's several hours worth of curriculum that I can put into a nutshell. The and the third point is that the opposite of that is perspective. Um, and then the, the fourth point is how you go from tunnel vision to perspective, which we've already actually talked about, which yeah. has a lot to do with 
learning how to shift your brain and also using wellness to kind of almost not force it, but kind of force the brain into, into perspective by having great wellness in your life. Okay. So, and the tunnel vision, if you, if we, we just, can you give, give us a little bit more about tunnel vision? Like, so we can like we open us my open our mind for the tunnel vision. Yeah. It's, it's very fascinating actually tunnel vision. And, um, so tunnel vision, when you focus your attention, how it warps the mind, um, there's six ways that it does that. I hope they remember the, all of them. So the first way is that when, when you focus your attention uh, on something, you actually start to lose control. Because like if I'm hungry and I see chocolate cake and I know that I really shouldn't be eating chocolate cake, the more I focus my attention, the more exclusive my attention becomes on that chocolate cake, there's a very good chance I'm going to eat it eventually. Oh, yes, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Well, join the human club. It's called, you know, it's the human condition for a reason. You know, it's the same, you know, honestly, we, we talk to people with chemical dependency and they, we explain why things, you know, once something gets in your mind, because you can pay attention to what's in your mind, not just what's in, around you. Um, and so the, the, what happens after you start losing control is that, believe it or not, uh, you start believing things. Uh, that you know, you become more suggestible. It's actually a way that hypnotists can hypnotize you is getting you to pay exclusive attention to something. You start believing what people say. You start believing your own thoughts. Um, and the third thing that happens is you get really lost in your own imagination, where you're you're partly in your head and partly you know around you. You know, so if you're if you're really worried about something or you really want something, it's like you're thinking about how to get it. You know, and so you're kind of, you're living your life really in tunnel vision, half in your imagination, you know, what do I have to do? Talking to yourself, that kind of thing. And so you become, you kind of get lost in there and that, that, that limits your experience of the moment. So the fourth thing that happens after that is that the sense of self gets really inflamed, like really magnified. And your sense of self is the part of you that is a lot of different things. For instance, Hedden, it's the, it's the part of you that takes things personally that are not personal. You get insulted or feel like everyone's looking at you or you feel like you're the outside of life looking in and everyone's happy or you feel superior to other people or inferior to other people. You get competitive, all those things. And when the sense of self gets inflamed, this is the last one, I think. So maybe there's only five that I'm thinking of. So the last one is that when your self is your sense of self gets distorted, your thinking gets distorted. You think you know what the future holds. You think everything should be one way or another, or everything is black or white, or um, you, you start insisting that, that things are one way or another. Uh, anyway, that's, and then when that happens, you can kind of live more in the past or in the future than anywhere except in the present. Sorry, there's a lot to it. Is that, is that kind of clear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm only thinking about like, then we come to the point, like, how do you, uh, because of your practice, like, how, how do we train ourselves? Because when you said something about the, uh, 
oh, is this person looking at me? I, I'm just when you said it, I was just thinking about my teenage daughter who was just like, oh, then everybody is looking at me, and I was just like, maybe they are looking at your hair, or maybe they are looking above you, or it doesn't mean that they are looking at you, but like they glance, or like, and the teenagers are a really good example of this, uh, what you said, and and I'm just thinking about how can you train yourself like do you is we okay are we available as human beings to train ourselves or is it all do we always have to have this doubt or like because of the balance in your brain if we if we take it there yeah i mean buddhism wouldn't be so popular if, <laughs> if there wasn't a way to to unwind it a little bit uh for sure. And, and I just want to say that, you know, tunnel vision, we train our children to be in tunnel vision from childhood. And when they reach adolescence, it's a, it really peaks in many ways. I mean, it, well, it, it looks different at different stages of develop, development. So yeah, of course you can, you can, you can train your brain to shift away from tunnel vision. Um, so, you know, I identified four different ways to do that, but the number one most a number one important way is to recognize when you're in tunnel vision. Because if you see that you're in tunnel vision, you see how you're taking things personally. You see how your thinking is distorted. You see how that sense of self is so magnified that it's, it's toxic. Um, that's a form of perspective. Then you're starting to head towards a little happiness because you're not caught up in your own mind. You're not being dragged around by it like your daughter is and like we all are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all we have probably all been there because you like there is something <laughs> around us. Well, Hedden, you and I, I mean, I, I hate to I mean, we're all in tunnel vision to a certain extent. Yeah. And, you know, with more and more perspective, we develop maturity. We develop the ability to step back. So for instance, if someone is looking at your daughter or someone like is screaming at me rather than get tunnel vision and take it personally and get angry and get insulted and, and start thinking you should never do that. And, you know, and I can step back, I can open my awareness and step back and see them for who they are and go, oh, okay, well, what's, what's their problem? Because when you have enough perspective, n really nothing is personal. Yeah. You can, you can see life more objectively. So number one way is to recognize your tunnel vision. And then if you practice brain shifting, which is really starts with mindfulness meditation, but you can brain shift when you're driving, you can, you know, brain shift when you're talking, whatever. Um, and then the, the, the wellness is the third, you know, major way that you can, because if you, if you take care of, of your wellness and all these, I have these sort of six spheres of wellness and you, you know, each one leads your brain to get perspective. So like if you're in the physical wellness realm, if you're very, if your body is really finely tuned and you're healthy, you feel more alive. You just feel happier when you're in a physically well, you get natural perspective from that. The same with mental wellness and social wellness and organizational wellness and moral wellness and existential wellness. I won't bore you unless you want to know, but each one of those spheres of wellness, when you tune them up by themselves, they give you a sense of natural perspective. So it's kind of like the indirect way. And then the brain shifting or mindfulness is the direct way. So you get them like sort of inside out, outside in.
But I, I can, I can, I can follow you. Really follow you with the physical aspect and and like because, like we are talking about uh, with the teenagers and then because they can sleep all day, but they only sleep four hours at night. Like the balance of sleeping like for eight hours straight or like the, and the, and the sleep is really like a topic that everybody should like you just should, should sleep for seven hours or more because it's so valuable because your brain need to talk to itself in the night and figure out stuff absolutely i mean physical wellness is you know it's it's obviously huge but i just wanted to mention it's 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 not the only one I mean, mental wellness, knowing what your issues are, your triggers, your personality, where things came from, you know, the social wellness, having love and, and intimacy. And, you know, we're a tribal species yeah. and living in, in tribes really gives you perspective. It gives you a sense of safety and, and connection and organizational wellness, which is, you know, underappreciated. But, you know, having your life in order to a certain extent uh, like Zen centers are enormously clean. Like you could almost lick off the floors. We're like cleaning things that are already clean. You know, your finances, you're prepared for disasters. It's like, it gives you the sense of, okay, I know, I know where my life is and moral wellness, you know, having these precepts to be kind and, and, you know, the, you know, if you feel unhappy, opening your heart to other people is a really strong way to pull you out of it. So, I mean, being having integrity, you know, and coming up with these lists of things that you think are important for you and knowing what your values are, it's really huge. You yeah. don't go into it too much. And then existential wellness is where you you do things to just directly appreciate your existence. Like religion, you know, going to church or whatever, you know, devoting experiencing God, but it can also be secular where you just practice gratitude intensely. Yeah. You know, you say every day what you're grateful for, um, or you see beauty in the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. Um, these are, you know, these put you into that sense of the sense of wow, my my existence is really phenomenal. It's funny when you mention the gratitude because I, I I think for uh, maybe for us Europeans, we we think about gratitude when we talk about the church, and and like. The, that stuff but I have been associated now with a, a community the gratitude community through LinkedIn and stuff and and pra- like doing these things via, via prompt cards and it's just like remember oh. a neighbor or do like send a greeting to somebody <clears throat> and after it I, I'm just like trying to enjoy the moment like standing in the line in a grocery store and just like oh Oh my lord! How they are must be busy. The the kids who are working the uh, cashier and stuff. Like, it's just like how you appreciate life and the moment more, just by and standing, yeah, and breathing in the moment. That's the very definition of perspective. Yeah. So, in your line of work, like you are working in the uh, hospital in Seattle, like do you get burnout? Is something that we are talking uh, like there is a okay there is this covid pandemic but have you as a uh, like psychiatric like working in psychiatry psychiatry thank you yeah. 
like have you experienced or seen that the numbers are going up where people just feel exhausted like they have nothing to contribute and that like the workload is just killing them because they don't see their maybe they are locked down in, in, in the tunnel vision because they feel like they lack so many things or they are off the rail or like how many like ha- have those numbers gone up or have you met more or more patients like that um so in general had and I, I don't mean to make too much of a joke of it but you know in psychiatry business is booming yeah um, uh, you know, in the, in the hospital, we we see people who are really in crisis. Um, but I think psychotherapy offices are really packed these days with people who are in burnout. Um, and I just want to r- remind you that chronically being in tunnel vision without much perspective will for sure burn you out. Yeah. Like you think of businessmen or if like, you know, rich people, beautiful people, they're as unhappy as anyone else because they're caught in the wheel of their tunnel vision and they're seeking, seeking, ever seeking. And they're always running from some, you know, some, they're trying to avoid feeling any type of discomfort, any type of shame or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, the COVID crisis has just amplified that, what's the, the normal human condition. And I, yeah, I, absolutely. People are seeking help these days in, in much larger numbers. And the hospital, you know, it affects people's depression and suicidality and, and the hospital census has definitely increased. So would you be, agree that me and my wife, we were talking about the like pandemic and said like, this is the world telling us, relax, like be stay in the moment. So... The fifth point of the Satori West method, which I didn't get to, um, and you know, I don't want to spend too much time there, is that crises and hardships are actually an opportunity, which is the the name of my next book, which is you know, blessed by distress, how crises are opportunities using the Satori West method, and or something like that. I forgot the name of it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But uh, crises. So we're caught up in our tunnel vision, but our tunnel vision is essentially invisible to most people. They don't know they're in it. But when you're in crisis, you can see it. It's so obvious that you're you're blowing things out of proportion. You're believing stuff that you would never normally believe. You're you know you're insisting that the world be one way or another, every, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's actually easier to see. And if you can see it and find perspective in the middle of it. It can be a it can be a wake up call. It can be actually, you know, and people who are in severe crisis, sometimes even veterans who've lost limbs in wars, and and people who've experienced sexual trauma and, and lost houses in earth in earthquakes and hurricanes, they have they have woken up to how extraordinary their life is, and often they would say it's the best thing. It not often, but. Occasionally, people have said it was the best thing that ever happened to them. So the strategy is to use these crises, use these hardships, use these negative feelings, even normal, just burnout, negative feelings, to stop and let it shake you out of your tunnel vision, hypnosis, and and, and find some 
degree of appreciation like you do when you stand in a grocery store. And that, that degree of perspective can grow very wide. It's really what people want in life is to feel like you've lived it fully each second because you've been awake and you really appreciate that this second is never going to happen again. And that your life is just enormous. And you mentioned also like the values, like the uh, that people, what do I want in life? What do I, am I, is my sole purpose to work in a job where I make money for the owners and I don't get, sorry for my language, dipshit, but like what what is my worth? What is my value? What, what do I want to do? So I, I handed in my resignation uh, letter in, 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 in February, uh, the 14th of February, and quit my job uh, in May. And it, it felt like I was, the fog lifted. And it was just like, I, I found out, really found out, that I had so many possibilities. And this saying about when one door closes, the, another one opens, or a window, or whatever, Pandora's box, or like whatever. I was just like, yeah, I will make a podcast in English. If you had talked to me for a year ago, I would like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was impossible because it's just like all of a sudden I'm doing something that I love and thinking about stuff that I like. And all of a sudden I was working as a waiter and I was like, we will not go there because my chef, he, he was like, okay, I know you love to talk, but you also have to clean the tables. Because I am so curious. I'm so curious about people. So <laughs> I really loved my job. So that that was yeah. fun. Like that was unbelievable experience. And and just like I, I, I at time I felt like uh, Jim Carrey in his film Yes Man, where I just like yeah I will oh, yeah. do that. Like if yeah. <laughs> can you clean the floor? Yes, I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is like, do you? like emphasize to people to talk about what is the worst thing that can happen if you go this route or like how do you get people to get out of this tunnel vision or out of and and open their eyes like okay mine was very dramatic that I, I quit my job okay I did not know that the COVID thing would start month later so <laughs> that was something but I stuck. I, I stuck to my decision. Yeah. So 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 how is it like fear? That is also a, a, a commonality. Like that's one thing that people dread. Nobody wants to not have any money. Yeah. So. Well, we're we're we're, you know, we're lost in our. I call it cultural tunnel vision because everybody has it. So you just think it's normal. Um, until you just can't stand it anymore. It's like the, it's like the, you know, the analogy of the frog. It's actually happens when, you know, when you put a frog in slowly heating water, they get so relaxed and comfortable with it that when the water heats up to the point that they can't survive, they don't jump out. And people are like that too, in a way, is that we don't, we don't jump out of slowly heating water until we're so old. It's kind of too late. And people wind up, you know, bitter and, you know, regretful or wondering what happened to the years, that kind of thing. So you you jumped out, Hedden, 
Yes. Good for you. Yeah, and thank you. There, there is a continual jumping out because the process really doesn't need to end. It, it actually can continue uh, to, to points of great, great happiness. I mean, great joy and, you know, and, and peace with life. And I think we talked early on about fulfillment, that each moment can become much more fulfilling because we have some modicum of perspective. And, you know, for me, perspective is not, it's not necessarily a thought. You, so like you forced your brain into some degree of perspective because you quit your job and your brain just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but, you know, perspective is really, it's a brain shift. It's a brain maneuver. And when, when you shift your brain like that, the thoughts come to you. It's like all of a sudden you start realizing things that you hadn't realized before, like that fog kind of, that fog of tunnel vision sort of lifts. Yeah. So we have to like think about the time. So you mentioned that you are waiting you're, you have been writing a, writing a book or it yes. is in the editing phase or is it in printing phase or when do you see, like, like is it in January that the book will be published? I 2021. 2021, right. <laughs> right. Could so, be, yeah. It feels like it's taken forever. Could Yeah, the end of January, I believe, we'll have it out. Yeah, so that will be uh, like exciting because you have mentioned a lot of stuff about the uh, like tunnel vision and perspective and point five points and like so you have a you are a, a great resource of new perspective in a sense yeah or a new yeah. way <laughs> new way <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really I would really thank you for your time because it, it is like as we say I can see I can because we are talking over uh, uh, Zoom so I can see the sun is starting to arise in Seattle. Yeah. So, so, but I have a one challenge for you. Yeah. Can you say, I, everybody on the podcast has to say Icelandic word. So can you say Borgarfjörður? Borgarfjörður. Almost. That was like 70%. Okay. So well, that's fine. <laughs> I just want to say one last thing. Um, so if you want to find out more about Sapori West and, and, the method, when the book's coming out. We also have, there's a lot of things you can also get from the website. Uh, if you go to satoriwest.com, yeah. S-A-T-O-R-I. I will place it also on the uh, LinkedIn and oh, I will uh, on Facebook and uh, everywhere where I can, like, just to thank you for, uh, for your time. So, Jeff, I hope you will have a great time and just stay focused and, and positive because... You. That's must that must be like you're always learning, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the best way. And the fact that you quit your job, you're you're my new guru. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had talked to me like in 2016, that would not have been an option that I would have quit. <laughs> then I was always it was also in that year it was just fear based. But now I was ready because, like as you say, I I think my brain was just like. <laughs> so I thank you for this chat and and I like my thank listeners you. I hope they will just check all your workout and stuff. So thank you very much and have a great time. 
Thank you so much, Ed, and I enjoyed it. Have a good day. This has been the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. You'll find us on social media.